Welcome to Reading for Attention, the weekly podcast where me, Paul, and me bezzy mate Sarah chat about a recent book whilst drinking a carefully selected beverage. Now, why have we committed to reading a book every single week and talking about it in a public forum? Well, the same reason me and Sarah do anything in life, for attention. What episode oh. number is it? Five, I think. No, it's not. Seven, maybe. No, it's not. We had Beautiful World, fuck, Memorial. Beautiful World, Clara Memorial. Oh, Clara Memorial. Harlem Shuffle, Midnight Library, and then this. Is it sixth? Six. I mean, it doesn't really matter. No. Nah. Well, welcome to what is possibly the sixth episode <laughs> of Reading for Attention. Sarah, how the hell are you doing? I am good. I'm very good after having a sip of this cocktail. Ooh, ooh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the lost boys are outside Paul <laughs> Sarah it's every single night I and I've, I've never seen them but I've always pictured like a really old man with a with a biker jacket on and a huge beard and sunglasses just zooming up and down the high road hell was um, angel yeah exactly um, I know they're there every night I've stayed over in your flat I've been kept awake it's by... dead obnoxious isn't it sorry about that interlude it. how are you I'm good I've uh, all the better for having a sip of this cocktail, um, yes. which I wanted to go into after I'd sort of done my overview of the book, but I kind of just want to talk about it now. Well, do it because I haven't had a sip yet and it's staring at us and I just want to put right. my little tongue in it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called A Spicy 50. The reason being because this book was hailed as Get Out meets The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, so I thought, what happens when Chiclet meets Thriller spicy meat sweet so it's a spicy 50 which is vanilla vodka elderflower prese um how do you is it just press <laughs> i think it's cordial in this instance but <laughs> oh well i've got another i've got another story fuck sake oh, well actually no 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 you well. might be right i've got the ingredients here but yeah it's presse if it's presse come on let's go look because i sent the ingredients to what? you what what is the difference there there's surely no difference well i think a presse so my very close family friends, Becky and Sarah, when we used to go on holiday once a year um, mm. to like France or Italy or something with our families, they would always get an orange presse. And what it was, was like really sort of sour, bitter orange in a glass. And then you would get sugar with it and they would put the sugar into the glass and stir it. And just, the, but just that interactivity <laughs> as a child was so cool. And you could get orange or lemon presse. So I think presse is like, is it fizzy? And, and I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's it like, is. It's, it's fizzy, tart. It's tart as fuck. I think that's what presse is French for, tart as fuck. But yeah, no, this is, it's actually it's... cordial. So you, have you used the wrong thing again? Well, do you know what, Paul? Come on, man. I've This is the second week in a row that I've made the drink correctly. Oh, shit. That reminds me. I was meant to send you an element of this drink. Well, I didn't want to bring it up. Sugar. what was the element i don't know i was just gonna send you something like the vanilla vanilla vodka okay so did you go full right. on by the recipe here yeah well what, well obviously not because i got elderflower preste oh, but anyway that. yeah but i did deviate in how i made it okay because oh and also i didn't so i didn't buy honey syrup i thought i'll make honey syrup so i, I thought that too what's the difference between honey syrup and honey please oh i just think it's the consistency Oh, okay. So if you put honey into a cocktail straw, it would just sink to the bottom. Mm, well, that's what I've done, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I made the honey syrup. So actually, I've one-upped you. And then I thought, 
to make this even more spicy and even more vanilla-y, uh, add a few drops of vanilla extract into the syrup and a few slices of chili. So what I've brewed is quite a potent mix. It's delicious. It's really sweet and smooth. And then it has this incredible kick. But I left the chili flavor to absorb into the syrup for probably about an hour. Um, Jesus. It's really, really spicy, but it's delicious. What's what chili did you use? Because I couldn't find jalapenos, like fresh. Oh ones. no, I just use some ones that you get in Sainsbury's. Yeah, same Sainsbury's. Just red chilies that they were called. <laughs> and also, it says mild on them. They're not fucking mild. Mine was a two out of five spice. Yeah, and, we've and got that's... the same ones. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That's more than enough for me. But I haven't tasted it yet. But okay. I had deviates slightly. I've I've done. Let's get the ingredients, and I'll tell you. While you um, do that, I'll just tell you as well that the reason I now just know that elderflower presse is fizzy is because mm. you meant to mix it <laughs> you meant to yeah, shake, you shake it the bugger that's why it's well, cordial i pulled all my ingredients into my little cocktail shaker and put the lid on and did one shake and the lid shot off the oh, top God. and half my drink went on the floor um, but it's fine because i bought more than one vanilla vodka so you had to muddle the chili at the bottom of the thing so i got a rolling pin and just bashed chili into the bottom of the shaker which with nothing in it i don't know if that was right and then added elderflower cordial, way more lime juice than it said, because if you add all of the ingredients together, it's like a shot. So I added more lime juice and then just honey because I didn't have honey syrup and then just normal vodka and vanilla extract because I didn't want to buy a whole bottle of vanilla vodka. Um, right. And I haven't tasted it. And I've got a lovely chili on the side, which I'm dead proud of. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole chili just balanced on the edge of the <laughs> That's what the picture had. So I'm going to have my first taste here. I really don't know what to expect. It's like a light orange color with chili bits floating in it. And it looks like soup, actually. Oh, you know what? That's actually quite fair. It's fucking delicious, mate. I For me, this beats Ooh. the lychee martini. But obviously, I didn't have the actual lychee martini. Yeah, this is lovely jubbly. Isn't I've it? I've got a small um, fissure on my lip that the chilies dive straight into. So... <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> like a cut? Like a... A fisher. I was trying to use a more comedic word for cut. He makes up. No, a fisher, like like an anal fisher. <laughs> what did you think I said? <laughs> like fishers in like F-I-S-H-E-R. I've got a fisherman <laughs> on my lip. You know how fish get hooks like this? Oh, did you think that was my slang word for a fish hook? I've got a fisher in my lip earlier. <laughs> no, like a fissure. Fissure. <laughs> I've got okay. a fissure on my lip into which the chili has gone so that's a bit a bit a bit throbby but other than that oh you're really on fire tonight Ooh. <laughs> hey. fucking hey. <laughs> wow. right okay getting all the laughs. So, um i know oh, this is so annoying we're usually equal parts funny everyone <laughs> everyone like our <laughs> listenership hasn't considerably dwindled <laughs> don't tell them that right shall we talk about the book yep so this week we have read The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delila Harris. So it's her first novel and it came out in June 2021. The story predominantly follows Nella, who's a 26-year-old publishing assistant working at Wagner Books and sort of for the last two years has been their only black employee. The reader joins Nella's narrative as Hazel joins the company, another black woman who seemingly owns her blackness. Nella is really excited by uh, Hazel's presence and she imagines a more optimistic future for the publishing industry as a whole. Because obviously 
she hopes that Hazel is going to be an additional voice who will be added to her efforts of revealing and abolishing the overwhelmingly white and racist nature of her workplace. And she also imagines that she's going to build some kind of like authentic friendship with Hazel that isn't riddled with microaggressions or even overtly racist incidents that Nella has been forced to previously withstand. And at first, it all seems to go really well. Uh, Hazel is as passionate as Nella in eradicating racism and elevating black voices in publishing. And the pair do begin to build a relationship. But then it slowly is revealed that Hazel isn't actually all that she seems. This is where it begins to take a thriller twist, the plot plot devices like anonymous threatening notes and plans of entrapment uh, so yeah this book is layered with meaning it gives a harsh yet true perspective of the nuances of racism in a woke yet still incredibly white society not to mention a more general take on office politics and it's all told in this very relatable voice with pop culture references and a habit of giving characters outfits whole paragraphs of airtime there are witty asides and intrusive thoughts and the horror trope with this unusual twist is somehow made believable I think through this voice there's there are a few other storylines that happen but I think we can talk about those more in depth but as a whole Paul what did you think of the other black girl I really enjoyed the other black girl I really loved when I started reading it I really was loving it and I said to you we try not to talk about the books off pod but um, I think I asked you what you were thinking of it and you were loving it as well. It makes you realise how few contemporary black commercial voices I've read anyway. Obviously, these issues in, for example, the publishing industry are prevalent, but as white people... Perhaps they exist in a sort of periphery to us, no matter how good our intentions are. We can say, oh, yes, it's terrible that there's not more black people in publishing and there's not black writers and black editors. That's another thing that's really important in this book is the idea of a black woman's novel being edited by a black woman. And the white guilt was real. There were basically lots of problematic white people in this office. I guess, hence, Devil Wears Prada. Potentially, her boss was a, nowhere near as scary as Miranda Priestley, but was certainly a scary woman who Nella felt like she needed to please because of her status in the company as a publishing assistant and really kind of grappling with her, her own sense of moral code and what she wants to do right as a black woman and she wants to do right by black people and also not damaging her position in the publishing industry and mm -hmm. I think that comes across really strongly and actually when I first started reading it I thought her internal monologue is intense and I was yes. like I feel like there's so much of this and wow can we get to the next point and then I realized Nella is so hyper aware of everything she does that oh every God, yeah. move she makes, she second guesses and she questions. And that was white guilt for me because I started thinking, hang on a second, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting, I wasn't annoyed, but I was thinking, all right, Nella, get to the point, babe. And then I thought, hang on, how dare I, as a, as a white reader and a white person, make that the issue rather than, hang on, this really authentic, relatable character is second guessing every fucking thing she does simply because she is a black woman in uh, almost entirely white industry. And that really got me thinking about issues of race in publishing in a way that I hadn't before. And I think that's what I really appreciated about Nella as she was a window into that kind of perspective. And and it was it was kind of heartbreaking that when Hazel came in and she thought, here we go, here's my girl, like here, she's going to really back me up. In the same way, to be honest, that I have... When I first started in my job and there was one that there was one um, other gay person in the office and I thought, mm -hmm. right, we're going to be Bezzies and we are mm -hmm. like that was kind of Nella's 
not that I'm comparing the two experiences, but that was certainly what Nella was kind of hoping. I'm going to have an ally here to back me up on mm-hmm. the issues that I'm too scared to talk about myself. So yeah, I loved all of that. Yeah, I think you said exactly how I was feeling when I read it as well. I made, I was making a couple of notes at the very beginning and then I was just like, why am I doing this? I'm not going to be able to add any, like contribute anything to this conversation. But initially I was like, is this a bit white reader or white user friendly? Like, is there such a huge emphasis on this consistent parrying between what she should do for a career versus what she thinks she should do to sort of further her well I don't want to say cause like morally self-interest as well yeah and I was like is the author really trying to make this as accessible as possible for white people as in like look look at what everyone thinks and is it an exaggeration and then as you read more and more and more of it it's I know it's it's not a fucking exaggeration this is that's my privilege and me being like come on surely you don't think about it all the time yeah and I was and then I was like what the fuck of course of course and it is really emphasized how much Nella as a black woman has to work twice as hard and and I think it's obviously you know being a human being able to empathize you can understand the frustration and like the struggle of others but when you get this stream of consciousness like narrative I felt like a microcosm of the frustration that you know that this story was trying to tell and I was like, oh, my fucking God, I can't. I, yeah, I was the exact same. Felt a lot of guilt. And it's, I don't want to be one of those white people that's like, for the first time, had their eyes opened to the, like, you know, the difficulties of being a black person, especially in a work environment and being like, oh my God, you know, I didn't realize how difficult it all was. And like, it's exhausting. I've read one book and I'm exhausted. I know, but I, just think, us. but I just think that this story did such a good job of being quite unapologetic. When I say like it was white user friendly, I mean, as in like giving it to white readers straight essentially there yeah. was no sugarcoat in any of it and I loved how the only way that we get to see that is because we're with Nella we're with Nella's perspective mm-hmm. so outwardly she is not giving it to people straight because she can't no yeah. matter how much she wants to that near the beginning she talks about how she tried to set up diversity forums at work and you know try and ke- create groups to be more diverse in publishing and they were quite quickly either dwindled or were shot down and she didn't feel like she could do anything about it and there's this thing about her having the email where they said we can do this pinned up in a little cubicle and then she took it down and and all of that is internalized and mm-hmm. that's the only reason that we get to see that so it's not as if Nella is giving it to the world straight yeah. as much as she wants to she has her friend Malika who she goes for drinks with and just vent and vents and vents about work and that's her outlet but actually in the workplace she really doesn't have an outlet and that's when the whole hazel hazel arrives and and she wants that to be her outlet and that's kind of like the insight and incident of the book isn't it what did you think of hazel's character initially it's difficult because i think it's been marketed quite heavily as a thriller and obviously it's called the other black girl and i think on the blurb it probably says something about like Hazel not being all that she seems. But how did you think that character development worked in terms of, because you, it is predominantly third person. Nella's sections are in third person. Um, and it's this close point of view that we talk about all the time. And for the most part, because it is a really twisty novel and there are a few twists in it that you really don't see coming and you experience those as Nella experiences them. 
But I think at the beginning when Hazel arrives, Nella's desperate to begin building this relationship with this person. She kind of wants to mirror sort of a relationship that happened at Wagner Books in the past, although between an author and a publisher, not between two assistant editors. But obviously as the reader, we're one step ahead of her when it comes to Hazel at first. And I think the book did a good job of not being too foreboding in that sense. But what was your initial reaction to Hazel? Yeah, I think it is a question of marketing, isn't it? Because Mm. the book is called The Other Black Girl. You know that in one way or another Hazel is the other black girl you are you're already assuming that something could be quite menacing that's always kind of looming but when she's first introduced Hazel I, I actually had a really clear picture of what she looked like I pictured her really tall and yep. gorgeous and effervescent and charismatic mm-hmm. and Nella being a little bit more reserved and more in her head if it wasn't called the other black girl And I didn't know that it was a thriller. Hazel's introduction, I would have been like, oh, great. This is exactly what Nella needs. So I did really like it. And then I thought it was brilliantly done when Hazel quite quickly starts to undermine Nella, but in ways that she can't work out whether Nella's just playing the game of a Mm -hmm. black woman in the publishing industry and sometimes saying what people want to hear so that she can get ahead. But actually, if she gets ahead, she's going to be the one that changes the industry. And Nella's never sure about mm-hmm. Hazel she gets instinctive feelings about her but she's she doesn't know what her intentions are and she can't imagine as another black woman in a similar position to her that she would be ruthless or that she would want to leave a colleague behind and I, I liked how that all unfolded I thought that was quite <laughs> effectively done I suppose yeah. for most of the book I've just had a thought though maybe like we said about the marketing we kind of know that something is obviously going to be remiss with Hazel from the start and so yeah it does feel it, it was really effectively done this sort of unraveling this build-up and then this unraveling but we're already at the point of waiting for the unraveling to happen just as as Hazel walks into the office for the first time yeah but then I've just had a thought uh when I was doing my A-levels and I studied film we looked at 28 days later and and obviously it's a zombie film and you're meant to think that the threat is the zombies but then you learn that the actual threat is Christopher Eccleston's character. I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. And so I suppose the whole book really, because Hazel does what she does because she's a product of the effects of living in a white racist environment and having to deal with racist people. So actually the things that she does are as a result of that. So truly the villain is white people. Well, that's I guess that's the question, isn't it? That's what makes you think. Is Hazel navigating a world in the way that she knows how to help herself and is there anything wrong with that or is she betraying Nella and betraying black women in publishing is she the voice of black women in publishing just because she works there and Mm -hmm. does that mean that she has this responsibility to to people to be in in a certain way and again that's the kind of shit that we do we're obviously like women yes LGBT yes but the layers of oppression (laughs) makes it really difficult what did you think of the twist because I alluded to the form of how this like if it's a thriller how it culminates what device is used Mm -hmm. and I really was conflicted I worried that it was maybe a bit like gimmicky or a bit I don't know not gimmicky because it's very unusual what was that phrase you used in the Matt Haig one the spec fiction speculative fiction spec fic yeah yeah kind of a bit speculative well this was this was the get out part of the book 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you think about it, you can see why this has been marketed as Devil Wears Prada meets Get Out. So I thought about this after I'd finished it. My problem wasn't anything that this author did with the story or mm-hmm. I wouldn't actually change the story. I thought I really enjoyed it. And I think it was done brilliantly yeah. almost all of the way through. My minor issue was that I think too much was packed into the very, very end. A lot of action very, very quickly at the end. And it was potentially a little bit uneven. That was, that's mm-hmm. what I think it was in terms of pace or something, something like that. I think it was more of a structural issue that I had with it than it was yeah. actually the content of the book because, because I, I think I had the same feeling. I thought when I finished, it, I was like, okay, what did I think about that? Is it the content of the story? Is it where she went with that story? And I thought, you know what? It's actually not because I can't imagine yeah. it going any other way. I just thought the, the ending felt a bit rushed or something or a bit yeah I definitely even because it wasn't a slow paced book but it certainly wasn't really pacey like she was going and spending long days in the office and then she was going for drinks and then she was going to an event and then back to the office really early in the morning so it did feel like a bit of a slog because Nella's fucking life was a slog in that place. Yeah. She was working more and more hours to try and prove herself. And I think she did a great job of making us feel like that. Like I was fucking mm-hmm. knackered for Nella, bless her. I know. I don't, um, I was like, whoa, I could never do a day's work like that in my life. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was then trying to change the pace at the end was probably quite a difficult thing to do. And I think it was great. I really, really did enjoy this book. But just mm-hmm. I was thinking about what I'd say on the podcast. And I, was, I was like, I think that last, even like literally like 50 pages yeah it was it was about I think there could have been a hundred or something just to make it a little Mm -hmm. bit more even but I loved where she went with the story me too I actually thought that the story ended really brilliantly yeah in just in terms of the final decisions that are made yeah I think were excellent I know what you mean it felt almost like it was setting up for a sequel because there are a few secondary storylines one main secondary storyline and the book actually starts with a chapter from that which it took me a really long time to figure that out I thought that that was from Nella's perspective but anyway that didn't lead anywhere I felt there was it was so juicy and I was invested and I think it's such a good a sign of a brilliant book that especially one that has dual or multiple timelines where when you finish one timeline you gutted you're like oh no I just want to get more from that and then you start the next chapter with the second timeline and you're like oh wait hang on this was just as juicy and mm-hmm. like I think it did that really well um I didn't feel like they were unnecessary up until the end when there wasn't the same sort of questions posed or resolutions or anything and then there was another character who was brought in and was really mysterious but then also was just sort of forgotten about basically there's something else going on it isn't just a story about Nella and Hazel there's something else going on on a much grander level we begin to unpick that again just at the very end and then it ends and I was like is this going to lead into another book (laughs) like I don't understand because we've done all of this work to get to this point and we're still really none the wiser about any of it I totally see what you mean the way that I read it was I think this author was probably grappling with how do I make the ending of this story satisfying for the reader Mm -hmm. and how much do I want it to be reflective of what I'm saying about black female experience in this space because I think creating an ending that was too satisfying for the reader would kind of undermine a lot of the messages that she was putting forward in the book one of the other storylines is told in first person and I think that all the way through the book I was kind of thinking right this is a woman a black woman telling her own story she's run away from the constraints of a normal life Mm -hmm. and she's taking control of her narrative hello a-level English (laughs) and 
there's so much power in that. But how much control over her narrative does she have if she tries to break free from the constraints of this white society? So I kind of saw it as not much chance to be honest. Uh, yeah, that is a good point. And I do agree with you. I don't know. There just seem to be bigger things at play that were then left sort of unanswered. No, and I, I was I, like, wait, hang on. What? I know what <laughs> no. you mean. But then it wouldn't, yeah, you, right. It would have taken too much of a departure from what the book was saying. About yeah, because it's rooted in reality. Issues. And that's exactly, why Get yeah. Out is so brilliant. Yeah. Because it does all of these things and it takes you out of a reality in one sense, but it brings into focus what reality is in another sense. And I think that yeah. this book does something quite similar, tantalizing us with this. Oh, where where is this going to end? And mm. where's this satisfactory, satisfying ending going to be? Well, maybe it doesn't exist. So that, that was me kind of thinking about it more than I usually would because I knew we were going to talk about it. But that was kind of where I settled on that particular point. I did some screenshots. I'm just going to have a look why. Yeah, I've got a few as well. But I looked at them earlier and none of them really make sense. The thing that I was also going to mention was the voice. I thought the voice was incredible for the most part, especially Nella's perspective, even as a white woman who hasn't obviously experienced anything that Nella's experienced. But I found it immediately relatable and like I said in the sort of overview that I gave there are all of these like brilliant pop culture references which I love and I think I don't know if if I think people that think of themselves as like literary fiction writers try and avoid them because they want their work to be timeless like this Mm -hmm. book references the Pepsi advert that yeah the Kendall Jenner one yeah and and I love shit like that because I just think it's I just think it's brilliant and that I think that's also oh god not to be a wanker, but proper zeitgeisty, not just because it's something that's obviously happened in our current period of time, but because we love that kind of shit anyway. We love pop culture. So it being referenced is like a little wink to the reader. And that's what really drew me into it at first, because you are right, it did like, there were some sections that did drag and it is meant to be reflective of Nella's like working day, but I stayed purely for the voice of it all. Um, Mm. Even if a lot of it is quite anxiety like fueled yeah it's very uh, Nella's a very anxious person and it there was times when it would get really heavy and obviously there's that degree of separation when you're not the character where you're just like come on like you can get through this just get through it I didn't think that the voices between Nella and the other perspective were different enough Uh, this is where I just nitpick for the sake of nitpicking because I feel like I should even though why why (laughs) I think I'm some great literary critic and that's like so the, thanks the first chapter being from this perspective and it took me so it's dated it has the date on it another thing that is really nitpicky is that with this type of narration that is like quite close to Nella there are some elements of description that then describe the way another character feels and it's just like well no you can't know that oh you know what Sarah I got a couple of them as well and I was like oh my god you're so right I think I've got an example of that I've got a few just because and like there's this one point where Malika widens her eyes at Nella being like fucking hell did you just see that but then it goes but Nella didn't see and it's like well hang on have we seen it then yes totally um and then there's another point where there we go Malika tried to catch Nella's eye but Nella didn't latch on yes um and then there's another part that like where Nella is sort of looking at what Hazel's wearing 
And she says, um, she was wearing a bright yellow scarf, heavy enough to hinder the aggressive air conditioning of the subway, but light enough to stick in her bag while enduring the sweatiness of the platform and a pair of those big white movie star sunglasses that looked like the ones Nella had tried on the last time she'd gone shopping. How does Nella know how hot or cold Hazel is? (laughs) Unless unless Hazel's come into the office and said, the reason I've worn this scarf today is because it's heavy enough to withstand the air conditioning on the tube, but light enough that I can put it in my bag. (laughs) And there there was quite a bit of that but it was it was like sprinkled throughout and so there were elements where it did pull me out but in in full the narrative was strong enough that it never pulled me out for Mm. long enough that I was just that I did anything more than highlight it like obviously I wasn't gonna be like oh I can't read this anymore I know oh my god that's it close the book Um, I've got (laughs) I found a really good example of the anxiety that she feels she says something this is her words in an exaggerated sassy tone that she used when owen used with owen when she joked she'd been raised on the streets um and then she sees herself in like a reflective surface so she says a passing glimpse of the bronze frame behind richard's head made nella second guess the daring move she just pulled pulling it out in a professional setting risked misunderstanding one might think she was either a black girl who actually did roll her neck in corporate settings and didn't know better, or a black girl who was making fun of other black girls who did, and Nella didn't know which was worse. What would Kendra Ray have thought about Nella's performance? So she rolls her neck or whatever, like, mm-hmm. and, and says something in a sassy tone, catches herself and thinks, she, in that split second, mm-hmm. so Richard Wagner is the owner of the whole publishing, the publisher, and thinks, shit, is he going to think that I do that in corporate settings and I don't know better? Or is he going to think that I'm making fun of people? And I love that because that just shows her second guessing every single thing she does. Third guessing, fourth guessing, yeah. like a constant volley between. And then waiting on Richard's reaction to see if it was satisfactory. And apparently he's fine with it. So then the tension falls from her shoulders and she's relying. And it's, yeah. I, I think I loved how she did that. It really made, made you, you could never forget how Nella was always feeling mm-hmm. like she was having to put on some sort of performance. And I think it was because that covers all bases, really. Like she, we get all of her thought on thoughts on every single little minute thing that she does it's quite it would I imagine be quite difficult to still create a fully rounded character out of all of that and not let that be the overwhelming feature Mm. but you still I still feel as though I know exactly who Nella is like intrinsically uh yeah I think that was maybe just the voice just that voice that that she establishes immediately Mm. had to be the strongest aspect of it um yeah and the other the the final thing that I took a picture of was how Nella's actually raised in quite a middle-class white environment. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where she's come from. And she talks about it with Hazel. And again, she is almost self-conscious about that fact and whether she's black enough or whether she's gone through enough as a black woman when she comes from a middle-class family. And mm-hmm. I find that focus on class really interesting. And I don't think it's always, um, it's always focused on that much in stories about oppression I think if if it is it's it's a, a book that's fully about class I like it when there's intersections of these yes. things and so Nella is fighting the good fight and um and as is really wants to change things for black women but oh but she's middle class and what does that mean for her identity and what does that mean for a relationship with Hazel and mm-hmm. I loved all of that and the fact that she went to university and wrote her dissertation on black women editing black books. And it was, I think it's like black on black, the power of, um, mm. you know, black women's words or, or whatever. I don't know what it was. And that was her 
kind of identity at university, but then moving into work, she has to dilute that identity. And Nella maybe feels like Hazel's going to judge her for that. And mm-hmm. all of that stuff, I, I just love, like the, the the politics of being a minority or whatever in a workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant of blowing up the subtleties and... Mm-hmm well microaggressions of like everyday interactions with white people yeah and it um, made me think when when the like annoying white girl came over or multiple mm. annoying white girls came over and started like maybe being well-intentioned but like I think we'll probably get away from the whole intention thing now and and talk about how it actually makes people feel and I was like shit I've probably been that fucking annoying white girl yeah. so many times and and yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm I'm yeah I was like god Paul you really need to <laughs> do better I don't know and I, I'm glad that it made me think like that I think she says some there is a part where it says there's something the, the well-intentioned white person is yeah. almost more threatening than the just straight up ignorant one let me just yeah. see because personal start... attack personal attack on me but then yeah isn't it because there are instances where like as a white reader you are a mirror is held up to your white self and it's like well which category do you fall into here neither yeah. are good neither are threat, uh, flattering and then it's like well actually that it's not the point I'm not supposed to be coddled here I'm not supposed to be like there are some of you that are all right and get it so well actually we've never we've never had to experience it we've never had to go through it yeah it's not about us it's not good for attention seekers when the book's not about (laughs) us I think that's also what I kind of felt like I meant when I said like white user friendly like this a lot of explaining that happens um I think you could read this book as a white person completely ignorant to all of the nuances of racism and um, being in a majority in especially places like a, a fucking office, an office setting, which is already riddled with, with its own set of politics and hierarchies and whatever. And culture, um, office and culture, culture mm-hmm. which is white. Office culture is generally white. Yeah, 100%. And it's like you could read this completely ignorant and it would be almost like a like a manual like there are some that's I think that's kind of what I meant to say it's like um it's like this is an example of a white person doing something that is aggressive and here is why this is how, the way that it makes Nella feel yeah. kind of thing and, um, and but then, but not in a patronizing not you no, know no, not no. In, it's it's done so brilliantly yeah and then and that's what and then I was like hang on no what am I talking about white user-friendly it's not made for a white person I know but we're just <laughs> so used to is. think well you know we're just and um, the, the other thing was because I remember when I looked at the Goodreads I don't know why I've started looking at the Goodreads of everything but mm. uh it had about three and a half stars which is pretty good but for example the Matt Haig book had like 4.7 stars billions mm-hmm. of, of five-star reviews and this one was a little bit more divided, like most mostly positive reviews, but quite a lot of negative ones as well. And I didn't look at them until after the book. And I thought, oh, it's just going to be people being racist. And I looked and generally speaking, it actually wasn't. A lot of them were coming from black readers um, really. who were saying it wasn't reflecting their experience or it wasn't. And again, it's like, you know, the one, this this one you know debut book about a black woman in publishing. It's, to, yeah, it's yeah. supposed to reflect everyone. But I did find that. I'm going to have to say interesting because <laughs> um, that wasn't necessarily what I expected. And th- but then I thought, you know what, th- my experience isn't of a, of a black woman. So I've got no voice in this particular um, conversation. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to deny someone's feelings. But so I've got nothing to say other than that wasn't what I expected from those reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's because there's so much riding on these books. Um, here here well, is some yeah. representation of me and 
and this is going to be the one that needs to be reflected. Whereas we have just so much choice that it's not that deep if, if a book doesn't reflect my experience. Exactly. If I want to read a book about my life, I've got the pick of about 100,000 yeah. million, like yeah. more and more. I mean, in conclusion, mm. really liked it. I've actually enjoyed talking about this book more than most of the ones we've talked about. Sometimes I'm like, shit, what are we going to say? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like... Yeah, we've. I, I really was excited to talk about it. I'll definitely read the next thing she does. Oh, 100%. I think this has been my favourite book that we've read so far for the podcast. It's, it's up there with me. This one, this and Memorial, I think me too at the minute. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, brilliant. Love that. Thank you for a great read. Can't wait for the next one. Maybe a sequel. Who knows? In light of the most recent podcast that was released, which was the, oh fuck, which one was it? Harlem Shuffle. Harlem Shuffle. And we spoke about what we did as children to get attention. Oh yeah. Um, My friend Amber Calland messaged me saying, you've unlocked a memory of me and a girl at primary school who used to headbutt each other on purpose so we could get an ice pack and thus lots of attention. <laughs> oh, that's just instantly unlocked a memory of me of where there was a girl at school called Demi Champney. Haven't spoken to her in a long time, but hi Demi, if you're listening. Uh, she, will she, be. she had a, actually I'm just embarrassing her because she had a sty. Um, <laughs> and I needed that sty. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd heard they were contagious. So I just thought I'd have a quick snuggle up to uh, to Demi there in the hall. Um, really was trying to get my eye as close to Demi's eye as possible. Oh <laughs> no. I mean, and? unfortunately not. And I also went out oh. when back in my Irish dancing days. There was a, another girl called Jodie Ausnett who had a gorgeous sty, and I was re- I think that was the first time I'd heard about them. Actually, and I was like, "What's that? She's getting loads of attention. What's that on her eye?" So I was like, "Oh, it's a sty." And I thought, "Well, it's contagious. Brilliant. I'll just I'll just get me one of them." And I had myself a good go, but no, I've never had a sty touch wood. I bet I'll get a massive one tomorrow. That would be awful. Yeah, I was I was obsessed with things like that. I was obsessed with being sickly, but we've kind of covered this last week. Yeah, well, that week. So I've we've put our Christmas decorations up. Yes, that's it's... insane. Right. Okay, I want to talk about this because <laughs> I think growing up, mm-hmm. I think it's ingrained in you to be outraged at how early Christmas happens every year it happens earlier and earlier every year when actually I I think it's probably reached its peak now I think it's generally October time and also I think it's been October time since as long as I can remember probably probably and I really fed into this especially when I was younger um and I think it's actually a oh it's both of them are a form of attention seeking but I think I fall on the side of just wanting it to be as early as possible. And I think lockdown kind of changed everything last year. Michael put the decorations up on November the 6th, which I appreciate is quite early. And this <laughs> this year he went for when it would have been the 19th of November, which I think is actually the day this podcast will come out. Um, oh, wait, no, because that was three days what? ago. <laughs> <laughs> that, I cannot explain to you how much that just fucks with my head for like a millisecond. <laughs> Me too, I'm really, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to lie down. Um, so slightly later, but what I've really, and and the thing is, so as you can see, I've got them behind us now, Sarah, Mm -hmm. and I was quite excited to log on to a work call so that someone would be like, have you got your Christmas decorations up already? Because what I've realized is it just brings loads of festive joy. And what's the matter with having the festive joy a couple of weeks earlier? 
what's I find the issue is that I've never I've gotten this right maybe five times in my life where I've gotten in the festive mood at just the right moment right. where then I can really enjoy it so there have been years where I've started far too late and it's been like the 20th of December and I'm like Christmas drinks and everyone's like no babe I've been to Winter Wonderland six times already this month I'm not going again or whatever and I'm like fuck 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 no and then I only start feeling really Christmassy on like the 31st of January yeah and then I've done times where I've gone too early and I've peaked Mm. and then by the time Christmas comes around I'm like oh god that was so last year so for me, I just worry <laughs> that I'm going to ruin Christmas. But this, um, so I have a really fabulous, if I do say so myself, an eclectic range of Christmas decorations, which I started collecting when I moved out at the ah. age of 18. And they're like absolutely bonkers. They're, like, they're not, it's not, because my mum's like one of those people that does a classy Christmas. Like everything in our house is like matched and like, glass and and beautiful mm. um and like if the true if one of the like lights goes out on the tree then the whole set is changed and like all of this stuff is very perfect so wow. when I moved out I was like I need tack and I need tinsel and I need yes multicolored lights and stuff like that yeah so was- we've got multicolored lights and tack I'm a tacky Victorian Christmas yeah exactly um loads of foil and shit everywhere yeah. so I started to collect these ornaments um and yeah I've been collecting them for around 10 years and then because up until this point I've always lived with somebody yeah so each year I'd roll them out and whoever I lived with would be mega impressed at my collection and be like whoa 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 this is gonna be the best Christmas ever and I do love it I love decorating the tree etc um I have a frog as my angel just to oh. give you a, it's really cute um it looks like it's being sodomized by the tree and (laughs) (laughs) um and you know I'm just I'm just a quirky cool girl I'm not like other girls um but then because I live alone it's just tragic now I can't get I can't go out and buy my own fucking tree and decorate by myself and stuff yes you can and also I'm coming to visit you on the 21st of December so you bloody oh my god shit yes that's good enough excuse all right fine 100% 100% I need I want loads of uh, loads of decorations oh my God. you'll be able to see I've got one that looks like Santa is um engaging in inappropriate activities with Rudolph on a dance floor I don't yeah. even I'm not even gonna ask any questions because I just want to see it yeah when I get um, there oh, fuck you're right you're absolutely right maybe I should just start now I just think people it's gone the other way I used to get it when people would say oh it's getting too early and now I'm I don't know the commercialization of Christmas I understand but mm-hmm. it's like, hang on a fucking second. I love Christmas. It's class. And also, people stop need, need to stop thinking they're being really profound when they say, you know what, I like the lead up. It's like everyone <laughs> likes the lead up. Do you think anyone, if you asked everyone in the world if they could give up the lead up to just have a really awkward Christmas day with your family, they would take <laughs> it. It's, that's, that's a universal thought. Everyone likes the lead up to Christmas. People yeah. say, you know what, I'm going to say something here. Um, Christmas, yeah, I could take or leave. It's, it's, it's. It's it's the leader. I'm like, oh, <laughs> God. You and everyone else. Brilliant. Oh, you must be a philosopher. Like, <laughs> so I've just really, I'm I'm just fucking diving into Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And what we, our tradition is I go and see my Auntie Ali every year and we go to a garden centre. I'm really, really at the garden centre age now. And I don't think there's any going back. I think it, as far as I'm aware, the love for garden centres just gets more and more intense. So I this is fucking love a garden centre. You know how people say this is the oldest you'll ever be? Mm-hmm. No, 
the youngest, the youngest she'll, she'll ever be. be. Yeah. So it's also this is the least I will ever. This was this is the least I will like garden centers for the rest of my You're life. Only gonna continue to love like and the I love, love them. them. It's gonna grow. Yeah. Exactly. And every year we get um the brands called Limax. Um, they're not a sponsor, but <laughs> maybe one day, and they do like the little Christmas villages. And it's now been four years and we've got the first one we got was a Christmas shop and then we got a hotel and then this year we got a pub, like a little Christmas oh. pub and they all light up and I just look at them. Sometimes when we're watching TV, I'm just looking at the Lima because they just make us so, so happy. And I've seen, I'm, I've seen, I think I've seen the shop. Um, and yeah, it is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's just the ultimate tack, but I just bloody love it. And it's actually, like snow globes you know did you, I used to have some snow globes when I was a kid how much did you want to be in that snow globe yeah I, love I just snow want globes. to be in that house I just wish that the snow fell for longer than three seconds I know that's the problem but also it's going to be an indication of how uh well my life is going because you can get ones that move you can get ones that have like moving ice skaters on them <gasps> and stuff but the cost like 120 quid each we're still at well, sort of the 30 pound mark yeah dream big dream big yeah so yeah it brings us so much joy and I just the Limaxes are out it's November and I feel absolutely fine about it and I'm I have been one. listening to a bit of Christmas music yeah you have should have you yeah a little bit a little right bit. right well I copy everything you do so I'm gonna put on yeah. my carry after yeah I just think do it yeah all right fuck it I'll do it yeah make um, us put tinsel around the clock for crying out loud <laughs> tinsel around is what <laughs> oh that was such a such a horrible joke I couldn't think <laughs> of a, a way to like yeah yes and what's that improvisation thing where you do yes and I was trying oh, to think yeah. of like another part to that joke but all I was picturing was tinsel around Michael's cock so I don't know why this has come into my head but it felt like a, it was a festive activity uh well an, an occurrence at the time um I don't know if I've disclosed what I do as a job and I don't know whether I should should I can I? Should I? What do you think? Is it legal? Well, I don't know. No, I meant is your job legal? I, that wasn't funny. Oh, um, right. I think you meant to disclose. I was well, like, well, yeah. there wasn't anything in my contract. <laughs> no, well, I don't know. It's <laughs> up to you. Is there, is there any? Could could you go down for anything that we say? Mm, to be fair, your job, your job. At some point, when this when this becomes international, they will be listening to it, so they will know what your job is. So if you slag your mm-hmm. job off, they will know. So maybe mm. it's fine to say. Right. Did I confuse you there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw the cogs turn in there. You were like, sorry. That was like the 19th of November thing again. Uh, what I was going to say was, oh, fuck it. I work in a theatre. I'm the star of the, the show. <laughs> Quite the opposite. I work front of house. And it's really funny because I was, it's the first, the show that's on at the minute at the theatre is the first show that I ever saw live as a child. Um, um, I was talking about it to one of my <laughs> colleagues the other day and I was like you know this is the first ever show that I came to see uh, 22 years ago I was four so 22 years ago and uh, who'd have thought all those years later I'd be working <laughs> front of house <laughs> <laughs> imagine having your little child in front seat and being like see those there that won't be you they'll be you <laughs> selling the ice cream <laughs> Yeah, but did you not always want to sell the ice cream? It was far too much pressure. Thank God. I'm just going to say this for the first and only time. Thank God for COVID because we're now a cashless venue because you have to to be able to do quick, quick, quick mental arithmetic. I um, Well, number one, do you remember when the ice creams had, you used to open them and had the little cardboard disc on the top that you would take off? And have the spoon underneath? Yeah, yeah. Does that still happen? Oh, sorry. I just don't really eat ice cream anymore, but I used to love that. 
Um, and then the other thing about mental arithmetic is when I worked in the pub for years and years and years, I still remember what all the prices of every single thing was. Do you think Jesus I've got some Christ. sort of like yeah Nobel Prize geniusness? Like what is it in like Rain Man? If you like drop a box of matches on the floor, you could just look at them and be like twenty six. Yeah, do as a <laughs> do as a drink, and I'll tell you how much it was. Uh, vodka lime soda. Single or double. Single. Two forty five a single. Three forty five a double. What the? F- I mean, you could be lying to me, but I know. That I know. Not. I know, but I'm not. <laughs> but is that is that with inflation? I don't know what it is now. This was two thousand and ten. <laughs> so now it'll be ten forty five for a single. The most expensive pint we did was a Stella. And it went up. A Stella? To, yeah, wife beer. And it went up to £3.10. That was the most expensive. And people kicked off oh, when yeah. that was £3.10. A San Miguel, which is 5%, was two fifty. Well. So people would just come in, drink 13 San Miguels and just <laughs> brawl. Yeah, I had to call the police multiple times. And once it was because people started having a fight with mushrooms. <laughs> they were just throwing <laughs> mushrooms at each other. And I was really scared. <laughs> A violent fight with a really yeah. soft vegetable. Yeah, the um, softest of all vegetables. Mm. Is it a vegetable? No, uh, it's a, a, a fungi. fungus. Ooh, I don't like that word. That was delicious. I'm going to make myself another one of those drinks. I know, that anyway. is great. It's fucking Monday though, Sarah, but I think I'll have one more. Well, it's my day off, so this is my Sunday, so people Wait. get pissed on a Sunday, don't they? Anyway, what I was going to say is I work front of house in a theatre... And at the end of every show, we have to, when you're ushering, which I was the other night, you have to go up and down the rows with your little torch and just check to see if no one's left anything valuable. And then you nick it. Yeah, I was going to say check to make sure people have left valuable things so you can nick it. (laughs) Um, And I'll tell you one thing, the mess that people make when it's dark and they don't think people are watching is outrageous. Like upended ice cream. This is besides the point, but it's just hideous. And everyone, everyone needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Yeah. Um, anyway, I was doing that the other day, and what happens is quite a lot of people straggle, and they like to sit in the seats, and they think they're being really clever and smart because they they sit there and they wait for the crowd to die down and they leave. No, babe, you're preventing me from going home. So get the fuck out. It's really infuriating. So what you do, because you don't obviously want to say that, but it's like you go over to them and you say, "Hi, yeah, did you enjoy the show?" And they say, "Oh my god, I absolutely loved it." And you say, "Oh, thank you. See you next time. Have a safe journey home." And it's like. <laughs> Um, what you do before that is you go up the row in front of them with your torch and it's like I'm coming and then you go down the row behind them with your torch so then it's very obvious that they're like hindering your work and then Mm. nine times out of ten they'll get up out of the seat and like go home but the other day (laughs) I was doing this and there was this couple in the middle row of seat like in the middle section of seats and they just weren't leaving and I was like out now so I started to go up and down the rows in front of them thinking I'm getting closer I'm getting closer you better go and then I went down the row behind them so I've gone down the row in front and I was like why aren't they moving they're just having this little private conversation I was like do that at home hon and then I went down the row behind them and I was about to turn to them and say as I was standing right behind them can you leave and the woman went yes yes and I looked at her he'd fucking proposed he was on his knees I was looming over them like the grim reaper holding my tiny little torch and she and he I mean it was really sweet and like I congratulated them obviously completely destroyed the moment but like <laughs> he was kneeling amongst a load of melted ice cream and stale popcorn um but it was really sweet she said yes she was buzzing the ring was fucking massive so get in babe yeah um, that's but, a good time to propose, isn't it? So I said to him, I was like, oh my God, mate, you must have been shitting yourself through that entire performance. Did you even watch it? And he was like, no, I didn't. He was like, but I wanted to do it tonight. I just didn't want to do it in front of everyone. Like I didn't want to make a, I didn't want an audience or whatever. 
because that's all right that's quite cute then it got me thinking pdas paul pdas are like big big i mean public displays of romance pdrs PDRs. also personal development record at work what do i think about them Mm. To be honest, it all depends on the person. If it happened to a friend, I'd love it. Yeah. This is a real attention seeker dilemma because I was thinking if anyone proposed to me in front of a crowd of people, I'd say no by default, even if they were like the love of my life. Or maybe I'd say yes, even if I hated them. Well, that's me. I would say there's no circumstances under which anyone could propose to me, and I would say no because I would. Even though you're married now, too bad. Yeah, even even now, like if someone proposed, I'd be like, yeah, that's that's fine. Sounds good. I would hate the idea of it, but what in public? Because we love being the center of attention. I know, but then we got engaged watching Ella Henderson X Factor videos. I know, but I was marshalling the London Marathon. I can't believe you left me out of that proposal. I know you really should have been there. Um, but I don't know. I think, oh, that's a hard one. I can't decide. I really can't decide because part of it is like that's really attention seeking and that's what I love. Mm-hmm. But and I think if, if I think if I was in a theater and someone got proposed to, I'd be like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I think. Well, because I like ran out into the foyer. I was like, what do we do? Because we have some we keep some bottles of Moe in uh, hidden away. And I was like, should we pop a bottle of champagne? They've, there's a couple that's just got engaged in there. And my managers were like, no, what are you fucking on about? And they were like, someone proposed Absolutely at the start not. of the run. And I was like, all oh, right. And they were like, but they waited until everyone was seated. So this other couple that had got engaged, the guy waited until everyone had seen. And just before the lights came up, he got down on one knee. Oh. Both hellish circumstances, to be honest. Um, it's not like it's a very grand theatre but it's definitely a little bit uh, rough around the edges yeah how do you want to get proposed to um just just with a fucking huge ring and preferably by their graveside because they're gonna die yeah i want jeff bezos his final words to be oh no his final words to be (laughs) his final words to be i do i leave it all to sarah yeah, quick, quickly sign, babe, and then push him yeah. in the grave. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, and of course, no. Smith style. Um, right, that was a shit question. I thought it was going to be really good, but you've not answered it. So, what did I not answer? <laughs> I thought it was going to lead us on to something really brill, but I can see in the light of your glasses that you're clicking through. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was trying to remember what the. Oh my god, something just started playing. I knew you would be able to see that. <laughs> Can you see it? Right? <laughs> yeah, but I also, reason- I also noticed this about five minutes ago and I just barreled on regardless. Oh, I was listening, but I was thinking, shit, it's been an hour and 50 minutes and I don't know what the drink is. Oh, okay. So I was trying to think of what the drink is. Um, <laughs> I knew, I fucking, these glasses betray me all the time. Honestly, like when I'm in meetings and stuff, I can't look on other things because it's just like a fucking... <laughs> It's like beamed back. <laughs> oh God. Oh God, me vain. Um right. Okay. <laughs> Should we talk about next week's book? <laughs> I'm a bit pissed. I'm making another fuck it. Yeah. Okay, right. Next week's book and drink are mm. as follows. Actually, do you like milk? I mean, I'll drink it. Is it a white Russian? <laughs> It is, but with a twist. Ooh. Because the book next week is The Promise by Damon Galgut. <laughs> I don't know. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, Galgut. I bet that's not how you say it. Nah. But that's how I'm bloody saying it. 
<laughs> so Damon Galgut is um, a South African novelist. And this novel, The Promise, it's called, won the Booker Prize this year. Jal, 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 jal. It's a family saga, according to Wikipedia. No, I've read some of it and yeah, quite enjoying it so far. And so the reason that I was Googling things while you were talking is <laughs> because <laughs> my friend from work, one of my good mates is South African. Ah. And we went to hers uh, a couple of weeks ago for a night out and she made her a lovely dinner before. And for the dessert, she made us... Um, a milkshake. It's not going to be a milkshake, but it was a milkshake with this South African liqueur. Oh, I think it's a liqueur. How the fuck am I going to get that, Paul? It's it's actually it's actually quite reasonably priced. Um, <laughs> it's called Amarula. Wait, let's get. I'm I'm looking. Yeah, Amarula, and um, it's a bit of a creamy sort of thing, but it's delicious. It's delicious. Okay. It's very sugary and delicious. So mm-hmm. I thought we could have a white Russian, but with Amarula as well. Okay. Um, because. That's the only South African drink I know. <laughs> um, what? How do you make a white Russian again? <laughs> so a white Russian is vodka, coffee liqueur and milk. So we'll have vodka, coffee we'll liqueur, vodka. <laughs> amarula and milk. Yum, yum, yum. I, I actually love a, a white Russian. Yeah, I yeah, I, I would never order one, but I've always had sips of other people's and someone made me one once and I quite enjoyed it. They're nice, they're uh, refreshing. Big Lebowski, you know. I love the Big Lebowski. Yeah, apparently that really put them back on the map and everyone started drinking them after that film came out. Really? That's all he drinks, isn't it? All right, stunning. Sounds good. Can't wait to drink a glass of milk with three different types of alcohol in it. I know, isn't that just great? (laughs) It's probably going to curdle, isn't it? Um, So, yeah, please do email us at readingforattention at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at readingforattention. We have posted the remaining books for the rest of the year and mm-hmm. our Christmas treat to you all is that we're going to be doing uh, a book called Santa Daddy and it's <laughs> like basically porn so I'm really oh, excited about the gay porn book because I've never read a gay porn book me either um so yeah make sure you all download uh, a copy of that and <laughs> have it read in advance and that'll be coming out on Christmas Eve <gasps> that's really really exciting um all right then well um I'll see you for the next Epeline woo 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 See you then. See you then, babes. Love ya. Bye.